this episode of the Granite List Live, Lee and Sally sit down with two renowned thought leaders in the benefit space to discuss what's new and what's next for plan design. Alison DiPoli was awarded Top Woman in Benefit Advising in 2019, and Ed Legonde was named 2021 Broker of the Year by Benefits Pro. Here, they share their passion for bringing the right solutions at the right time to fit the growing unique challenges employers are facing. We are so excited to be kicking off 2022 from the Granite List Live, and we're thrilled to have Allison and Ed with us. My name is Allison DePauli. I am the founder of Altique Consulting. I'm Ed Lagonde. I'm the Executive Vice President at Nielsen Benefits Group. Thank you so much. Unless you've lived under a rock, you have at least seen their faces and their names as being lauded a number of honors over the past year. And so we're really glad that you guys are taking a few minutes out of your day to spend time with us. So last year was really tough in many respects. And I know you know, both of you are incredibly innovative and thoughtful brokers. So as we were gearing up to start 2022, what were some things that you all had that were top of mind that you knew you didn't either want to repeat or you wanted to do differently as we came into this year? I am looking forward to more in-person activities. I don't know that they're going to happen right now, given when we're recording this, but I think that we are coming to the time when humans will just need to talk to the other humans. And I'm looking forward to that. As for myself, it's been you know quite interesting. My, my main focus has been really on trying to help employers understand and enhance their employee experience. Obviously, that's been a trying time, you know, going through a pandemic and trying to get out of this as well. So my main goal is to make sure we're practicing what we preach and delivering on you know a multi-year strategy instead of just focusing on various products that look really good and seem to fix an immediate problem. I'm going to take many years steps back, way pre-pre-pandemic, and and Ed, I'm going to start with you because I know you know at one stage in your life you were a footballer, soccer player. When you were in junior high school, did did either of you ever imagine that you would go into the benefits arena? And if not, what led you into it? Contrary to popular belief, I, I studied to be an insurance broker. No, I'm obviously kidding about that. First of all, kudos to you for calling it footballer because no one ever says that. So thank you, by the way. No, I definitely never really under even understood what this industry was. Even my first year in the business, to be honest with you, you know, I just knew that once I graduated college and I got my degree, I wanted to wear a suit and tie to work. And, and I thought that, you know, that was the pinnacle of being in business or, or something of that nature, right? You know, fortunately, I had a really good friend that was already in the business who had a few years of experience under his belt. And I was already licensed from an internship I did with Northwestern Mutual. So he said, hey, why don't you try out the group side of the benefits and see how you like the business to business kind of sales experience? And uh, let's go from there. And so, you know, I dove in with two feet, took a leap of faith and took a few years, but once I realized the opportunity we have as individuals to impact a business and impact the families within that organization, you know, I felt like the sky was the limit. So to me, it wasn't just a means to an end. It wasn't just a job. It became a career. And you know, I see myself doing this until I retire. 
So in junior high, I had no idea about working in the health insurance world. And I come from a family of entrepreneurs and serial entrepreneurs at that. And I ended up working for a family business. And I had watched family businesses my whole life, how they took care of people, how they interacted, what the interactions were between employees and employers in tiny businesses, 5, 8, 10 to 200, 300 employees. And Ended up working in the family insurance agency, for lack of a better word. Moved to Texas, ended up in a different area of insurance, and at some point realized that I did actually have skills that could help all of my very lovely clients who were having problems that were not easy to solve, but simple to solve with, as Ed said, three to five year strategies, care for the humans, and all of those things that we talk about all the time. So I did it. Speaking of that in-person experience, we all just came off the heels of a, a conference that was, that was in-person, and there were a lot of concepts discussed there. But for you all, first I'd love for you to describe what your, uh, and I know there are no typical clients, but just the, the types of groups that you work with, if they're self-funded, fully insured, level-funded, by and large, what that looks like. And then talk a little bit about some of the strategies that you're recommending and looking forward to implementing as we move into whatever 2022 holds for us. And Allison, do you have to what your clients look like and then what you're doing with them? So we don't necessarily have an, a typical client profile. Our client profile is much more psychographic. We tend to work with employers that are still involved in their business. They may not be operating their business. They may be much more on the executive level, chairman or, or whatever, but it is their business. It may be their business. They may be inherited that business. We've got some that are third generation business owners. And if we come in and say, you have a problem here, they generally contacted us and said, we have a problem. We don't understand how to fix it. And if we say, well, we can help you improve the user experience and we can probably put 50 or 80 or $100,000 back in your pocket, that means something to them. That's their money. It's not the company's money. It's not, it's their money. And, you know, sometimes they keep it, but more often than not, they take that money and then they reinvest it back into the workforce. And those are our favorite people. They're like, oh, well, we could do this now. Yes, you can do this now. Or you could do this and this and this. So it's fun, and I think that Ed would agree with that. It's it's fun to work with people who are engaged with their workforce and trying to improve the work experience. And there's not a lot of places where we can effectuate change, both for the employer and the employee. Speaking to exactly what Allison just talked about, I, I recall going to an Ascend a few years ago, and there was a speaker there. I think his name was uh, Steve Napolitan, talking about wow clients and you need to be able to fill each other's cups at the end of the day or each other's buckets. I talk to my kids about that all the time. And in doing so from a business perspective, you really want to work with those, those employers who are going to want to sit on the same side of the table as you and you as them at the same time, but also see the bigger picture. Who are their clients? As an employer, your number one asset is your employees. And so what can we do? What opportunities do we have as employers to enhance that employee experience? Now, Funny, I go to these conferences, Ascend in particular, and I'm one of, you could probably count on one hand how many people are from California specifically. 
And so I always get this question, how do you self-fund in California, right? And so to answer your original question about our typical clients, a similar kind of answer to, to Allison there as well. I don't necessarily go after a single type of clientele, but it's what I typically like to go after is a simple type of mindset, right? And and if they're on the same page that we need to change and transition the way we deliver experiences and deliver solutions to to better the lives of our you know employee base, then that's an ideal client to, to me. And so the one thing I've also learned is that we need to meet clients where they are in their journey, especially here in California, where HMO heavy, especially in Southern California. And so when you start talking about, you start throwing around terms like self-funding, people run for the hills, right? And so I realized I, I didn't have immediate success in trying to discuss these topics because it was all over everyone's heads. And what they were hearing was, you have to be several thousand employees in order to self-fund. And so after going to these types of conferences and, you know, and I'm actually kind of fanboying over here because I'm a big fan of Allison from, from California. But, you know, I remember having a discussion about basically just meeting clients where they are, transitioning our story. We have an amazing story to tell, figuring out who the end user is and how we can change the delivery mechanism and how they, you know, handle, help you, these experiences. All of a sudden, a light bulb went off and we started having more and more employers realize having transparency is a good thing. Changing the way we access pharmacy is a good thing. This is how we can truly help enhance the employee experience. Yeah, I've seen a major shift there, but at the same time, it's up to us as advisors to be able to educate our clients on the various ways that you can do these things. They're not going to go and find out these resources on their own. So it's really up to us to help them understand how they can accomplish these goals. So it sounds like y'all both have very similar client employers that see their employees as assets and really try to meet them where they are and, and give them the best benefits that they're able to provide. And, you know, in this overly talked about topic of this changing world and hybrid workforce, what are you seeing that your clients are trying to implement for their employees to make, make their life easier or new benefits that, that you're seeing that is a common denominator for, for going into this year? These are basically some of the emerging benefit trends and, and things of that nature. But, you know, the war on talent is obviously something that's, I think, is just going to continue to grow. We keep hearing terms like the great resignation and this is our new now normal and these catchy, catchy phrases. But we're finding that every employer, no matter the size, are going through troubles from a recruitment and retention perspective. So two things come to mind. One being mental health, having resources from a mental health perspective and, and enhancing those solutions along the way too. Because again, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, not just throwing a product at a problem, that isn't necessarily the way to, it's almost the band-aid approach, if you will. But finding out exactly what are some of the, you know, concerns and the trials and tribulations employees are actually going through. At the beginning of the pandemic, people were forced to adopt to technology if they weren't already adopting to the technology. If they were parents, they had kids at home that they had to both parent and teach at the same time. Maybe they had elder you know, in their homes as well and having to be with them all day and night at the same time trying to have a full-time job. So when you talk about mental health, I mean, it's the pandemic within a pandemic, right? And so bringing these types of solutions, whether it's digital or letting people realize what's already available to them and how to access it as affordable as possible is something that's, that's pretty key. Secondly, with a lot of our employees, we're noticing that family planning is actually pretty important. People are home and realizing what's most important to them. They want to start a family. They want to 
expand their family, whatever the situation is. So, you know, we're, we've been helping a lot of employers in enhancing the access to quality family planning resources. So again, just throwing out a fertility benefit is just can be just a mean to an end, but bringing in some actual care advocates to help guide people through that journey because it's super confusing, really expensive. But having that EAP uh, for family planning is, is, is another thing that we've been seeing that's been an emerging trend with a lot of our clients. I would add just to that, that benefit trends kind of come and go, different things become in vogue and out of vogue. And I think that mental health is the epidemic that we're facing now. And I talk to more and more employers who recommend that they recognize that and they actually want to do something about it. But I think the overriding feature here is communication. You you simply cannot throw things over the wall and expect people to respond in any way. The information overload that every single person has every single day is, it's just overwhelming. And I know that's a much overused word, but I don't know that there's anything else to say about it. So we've started year-round communication campaigns, focusing on different benefits, new things. We've done a lot with adding talk therapy benefits to mental health benefits. It can be done incredibly cost-effectively, but in order for it to be used, you have to tell people regularly. And putting communication tools in people's pockets, I know Ed does that as well, but the idea of our communication campaign is not so much that we expect anybody to remember what we're saying because information overload is simply too much and they won't, but they are starting to remember, oh, I got this thing. Let me, let me see what's here. And then if they don't find what they need there, they will reach out either to their HR team or to us. Who is this Altique thing? What is this? Let, they, maybe they can help me. And that is the goal. And what we see is better usage, and everybody always freaks out with better usage. Oh, we don't want better usage. Yes, you do. Because when you get better usage in the beginning, you solve your issues when they're small and they don't become forty and sixty and eighty and two hundred thousand dollars issues. They may be a thousand dollar issue or a five hundred dollar issue or a two thousand dollar issue. Fine, pay that as often as possible. You'll avoid a lot of the more expensive issues. So it's it's a much more holistic activity that we take on, we don't set renewals and forget them anymore. We don't have that option. It's the it's the rise of the EAP program that's been underutilized for years. They're finally having their day. <laughs> With these programs that you're implementing and, and finding such a use for, are you using the ones that you've had for years on the plan or are you sourcing new EAP programs? I know there's been you know, so many of them popping up in the past you know, year and a half or so. I actually think this dovetails a lot to what Allison was just talking about. When you when you look at it from a mindset perspective, and again, talking about those ideal clients, what's the point of offering something if you expect low utilization, right? You, you want to plan for high return on engagement at the same time because of everything Allison just, just mentioned. Um, you, you solve the problems when they're small. But nevertheless, now that you've figured out what the problem is and, and why you want to offer the solution, of course, you have your how and your what, right? And... It's pretty easy to have vendor fatigue, to be honest with you. I mean, imagine going to a conference and you're an attendee and you've got your swag bag and you go through and all these various vendors and you come home and you're thinking to yourself, holy crap, how am I supposed to implement all these different solutions, right? And so the key is to, to realize what is the actual problem. Find two to three vendors that specialize in that particular arena and then obviously go through your typical fact-finding process. 
We're definitely not using the same vendors we were using three, four, or five years ago because one, technology is key, and you want to find that you want to make sure you're you're partnering with the right end user experience and 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 things of that nature. But you also want to find the the vendor partners that are going to be providing the same mission statement that you're trying to accomplish at the same time too, right? So it's important for us to know exactly what's out there from a vendor perspective, but don't get too overwhelmed, you know, everything, especially in the mental health arena, EAPs aren't the only solution. I'm so glad Allison talked about talk therapy. There are so many great ways to enhance that because at the same time, the EAP isn't the only way to access mental health, right? It's very important. You cannot have your oh, this EAP thing over here, we're just going to stick it on there. Like many things in life, contracts rule all, and EAP contracts can be very, very different and not dissimilarly priced. So you can find a very robust EAP program that can feed off into talk therapy, financial counseling, family planning, all those different things that we've talked about and not cost appreciably more than something that doesn't have that. We talk a lot in our agency about automating, delegating, and eliminating as many tasks as possible so that when somebody calls, they talk to a human. And we want our vendors to be that way too. Because at some point, somebody's going to need to talk to a person. And not after the 18th time that they've told their story to an automated machine. Then you never know what's going to happen. But we vet that way. We want to know that ultimately there is a person around. And I think that's underrated. So there's a, there's a reason that both of you have been nominated and awarded Advisors of the Year. You're clearly innovative, forward-thinking. You, you do things that are outside the box. You're, you're both frequent speakers at different things. But I'm curious... So so I know I've noticed by being in, in the crowd, vendors are clamoring to get on your calendar and get your attention because of your notoriety. So I, I, we'd love to tell our audience, for those of us that are not quite as popular as Allison and Ed, when you are, you meet these vendors and you go home, what is it you're looking for? What, I guess what's kind of, what, what clearinghouse questions do you use, vetting process? How do you go through that? How do you narrow them down? So I'll throw in here right now that Ed is the broker of the year and well-deserved, by the way. And I, again, I want to know that I'm talking to a human and I want to understand the why. Why are you doing this? And you can tell from people's engagement. You can tell from Ed. You can tell from our conversations how people are engaged in their subject. And I like to work with people who are engaged in their subject and understand very clearly where their solution, whatever that solution is, fits in. Because no solution fits everywhere. Allison said probably exactly what I was going to say, which is focusing on on the why of it. You know, for me, I also want to make sure that not only is the end user talking to a human being, that we are too. You know, for us, a lot of times when we're the ones recommending uh, solutions to our clients, our ideas are only as good as the partners we bring in with us as well, right? So we need to we need to make sure that we're we're going through that vetting process. So what's been important to us and, and here at Nielsen as well is making sure that look we're working with the right type of people who are actually under the umbrella of XYZ organization. Who are these as people? We want to get to know them as people too. 
because we want to know, are they bought into the mission too, or is this just a job to them? You know, at the same time, I can't be preaching all about the why and all about the employee experience if I'm not partnering with the right partners too, right? These are part of our arsenal. And that's, that's what's been important to us. So great. You have a great UX, a great app, but who's behind it? Who's putting it together? Who's believing in it? Who's pushing it forward? That's what I want to know. Absolutely. I, I think that the who is very important. And I know we work, we tend to work with smaller players. So we know everybody. And when there's an issue, and there is always going to be an issue, it's just the way it is, right? Life, that life is that way. You don't get to escape problem-free. It can get resolved in a reasonable manner. And that has been a huge boon to us. Things happen. We ask people to do things differently. And sometimes it goes awry. And you have to be able to fix it and quickly. And you, so you need to know who you're working with. So I love that. I mean, I think both of you have, have articulated what has been so important to us as we're, we're building our, our business, business line. And that is that relationships matter and you do what you say you're going to do. Even if there is a mistake that you own it and you, you take care of it and you are there at, oh, in the trenches because certainly both of you are going to get phone calls from the CFO or the head of HR when something goes wrong. So I hope that for the vendors that are out there listening that you take heart. I know that um, we've seen an influx on the granite list of brokers writing reviews about those very testimonials about the solutions that they're using that, that do what they say they're going to do. And I think now more than ever, it matters. So I know we're up on our time and we are so grateful that you all gave us some time today. We love to end our podcast with asking, um, we know that you all are, are thought leaders in your own right. And so for those of us that want to be just like you when we grow up, what books should we be reading? Books that, books that have meant a lot to you on your journey. Um, for me, what was pivotal in my career was finding the series of Start Your Why and Find Your Why by Simon Sinek. That's how I, I realized that this became a, a more of a career to me than just a job. So that would be my, my main focus for a lot of people is to find your way. Uh, I am a huge Brene Brown fan. I always like to pretend I'm the tough girl. Occasionally I'm not. And so I think those have, those help people develop emotional vocabulary so that things can get expressed in an appropriate way. And I think that's really important. And I also love anything by Malcolm Gladwell. How he picks apart how something happens is absolutely remarkable to me. And I think it teaches great critical thinking skills. And we pick apart things every day. So they have been incredibly valuable to me. Thank you so much for sharing and for y'all's incredibly thoughtful thoughts today. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to be with us. And and that's a wrap for the Granite List Live. We appreciate you all and we'll, we'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Granite List Live. Access our entire library by visiting your favorite podcast venue or subscribe on our site, thegranitelist.live.com.